1: Time to begin our Bible study. You may notice I am not Pastor Snyder. So turn with me in your Bible to the book of John uh, in chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. And we've, uh, we've kind of been on a theme of new beginnings, and this, this uh, section of Scripture is appropriate to that. It tells us here that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And we've talked about before, the Pharisees were the religious leadership. They were considered the elite, if you will, as far as their religious establishment. And so this, this man had come, to, he came to Jesus, as it tells us here, it says, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So here's this Pharisee, this, Pharisees, this uh, man of the Pharisees, who came to Jesus, and he's declaring to Jesus that, that he, you know, he's saying, we know that you're a man of God. He called him rabbi, which meant master, uh, specifically in a teaching role. And he said, we know you're a teacher come from God, because no man can do the things that you do, except they come from God. But you notice he didn't come to him openly. Because the Pharisees and Jesus, they did not always get along. Jesus had no problem letting the Pharisees know when they were doing things or saying things that were not according to the way that they should be done. And so this man Nicodemus perhaps was afraid, seemingly was afraid of the, uh, the rest of the Pharisees. So instead of coming to him during the day, he came to him at night. He came to him at night and, and he's telling him, we know that you're sent from God. And verse 3, in chapter 3 here, says that Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus didn't really address the things Nicodemus was, was trying to flatter him with. He was trying to tell him, oh, we know that you're of God. But Jesus knew that. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. Yes, Jesus accepted worship, but the man, you know, he he was telling him what he needed to know rather than what he was asking. And he was telling him that we have to be born again. A man must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And this was a new idea to them. They were used to following their formulas. You know, bring your animal sacrifice to the temple, obey all of the laws and the rules and the traditions, and everything will be fine. But Jesus was letting him know that that stuff wasn't enough, that, that what really needed to happen was that people needed to be born again. And this, this was the gospel that Jesus came preaching, that a man needs to be born again. We need to have a fundamental change. It's not just enough to obey a set of rules. It's not just enough to, to go through the, the motion, to go through the steps and the actions, but there has to be a change, you must be born again. And verse 4, we see Nicodemus's answer. He says, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And, you know, of course, there is some merit to this. You know, full-grown man can't be born again in the same way that he was born initially. But Jesus was not talking about physical birth. He was talking about spiritual birth. And Nicodemus, you know, apparently didn't understand. He thought that, you know, the man had to enter again into the womb. And of course, that would not work. That would not work. Verse 5 tells us, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's saying, yes, you have to be born physically, but I'm telling you about a spiritual birth. The physical birth that we all went through to come into this world, you know, starting out as babies, that, that, you know, yes, we all did that, but we don't need to do that again. But spiritually, we need to be born. We need to be reborn because when we were born initially, we were born with the curse of Adam upon us. When, uh, when Adam fell and brought, brought the curse upon mankind, it was passed down to all of his children. And us being the children of Adam, we inherited that curse. So in order to get out from underneath the curse, we have to be born again. We need to be reborn spiritually, born without the curse upon our life, without that sin in our life. And that's what Jesus was, was explaining to him. We must be born of the Spirit, because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Na- natural man, just fleshly man, before we met Christ, before we were changed, we were led by our flesh. Whatever our flesh wanted, if we could obtain it, that's what we did. We don't, many times against our own conscience. We knew that it was wrong, but that's what we wanted, and so we would do it anyway. We would do it anyway, and it, so in order to be spiritual and follow the spirit instead of the flesh, spiritually we have to be born again so that we can follow the spirit. It says that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when we're reborn spiritually, now we can follow a new master, that being Jesus Christ in our life. And then he tells him, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest, Thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He was letting him know you don't understand, because you haven't experienced it yet. You don't understand it. You haven't, you haven't experienced this in your life. And so you don't see what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you that you need it. That you need it. But here, Nicodemus, in verse 9, he answered him again. It says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? So he he was telling him, You're supposed to be a master of the Jewish religion. You're supposed to be a religious leader. And you don't see the condition of man. You don't see that a change needs to be made. You don't see that, that people need to be made different. I mean, if they, you just stood outside the temple and you watched them bring their sacrifice, if they were being honest about their sacrifices, it wouldn't be hard to tell that there was lots of sin going on in their life. Because the formula was for each type of sin, they had to bring a certain offering. So you could just stand at the entrance of, of the place where they were doing sacrifice and you could see all the sin. All the sacrifices that they were bringing. To, to make up for the sins that they'd committed. Why? Because there was no change in their life. They, they, they hadn't experienced yet this rebirth. And so Jesus was trying to explain to him that it was what was needed. This is what mankind needs. This is what we need. Not, not the religion that the Pharisees were teaching of just rote obedience. Yes, we should be obedient, but not obedient so that we can be saved. We're obedient because God is saving us. God has changed us. And so because God has changed us, we want to be obedient. But the Pharisees, they taught that in order to be right with God, obedience was the key. Whereas we, we find that the, what Jesus taught was that in order to be right with God, we needed to accept Christ's sacrifice and experience this new birth. Then, yes, we we must be obedient, but it starts first with the sacrifice that Christ made for us. So he's telling him here verse 11 verily verily I say unto thee we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. So he really he was rebuking Nicodemus he was telling him I you know I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen these things. I'm testifying you of what I've already what I've already witnessed, but you're not receiving it. And sometimes we find this with people. It's called uh, accepting authority, accepting the authority of a teacher. And it's it's really sad. Many times people will have no problem accepting the authority in, in lots of subjects in the world. So they're in school. You know, their science teacher tells them something. They accept it, accept it as fact on authority. They don't question it, you know, whether or not they should, you know, Perhaps sometimes we should be more questioning. But either way, they accept it. But when a spiritual teacher, when a minister or a pastor tries to explain something to them spiritually, they don't want to accept it. They don't want to accept it on authority. They don't want to just, you know, even give it an opportunity. They don't even want to accept that it could be true. They, they, many times people think they know better. They know better. They won't accept it on authority. They want all sorts of proof, whereas if it was the science teacher, they just accept it because he said so. And I'm not saying we shouldn't test the things we're taught, you know, search the scripture, make sure they're true. But neither should we be skeptical every time that that someone's telling us, especially when they're proven, you know, when they've proven themselves. We've sat under their ministry, we've, we've prayed, you know, they've prayed with us and God has answered their prayers. We've, we've seen the authority that they have with God, we should then accept you know, what they have to say. We shouldn't always be skeptical of everything that we're taught. No, we don't follow blindly, but we also shouldn't always be doubting and questioning. There should be a matter of authority that we accept. Verse 12 says, If I have told ye earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So he was saying, if I just tell you these basic things and you won't believe it, how can I give you more more advanced things? You won't even accept the basics that I'm trying to teach you. I can't give you some advanced spiritual knowledge if you won't accept the foundations that I'm trying to teach you. He said, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here he was telling him what was to come. He was prophesying of his own death. So in the Old Testament, Moses lifted up a serpent on a rod, and anyone that looked upon that serpent would be healed of the bite from the serpent. And so what he was telling them is even as they, they had that sickness, they had the bite from the serpent that they needed to be healed from, so do all of mankind. We have that bite. It's called sin. The serpent bit us, if you will. We, have, we had sin in our life. But Jesus would be lifted up so that we could look upon him and he would be the cure for that problem. He was telling them what was going to come to pass. And he was telling them that what would, be, what would come of it, because uh, any that believed on him and the sacrifice that he made should not perish, but would have eternal life. Eternal life would be the, the offering for believing on him. And then verse 16, of course, probably the most famous Bible verse, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And really it's a reinforcement of verse 15, that anyone that believed on the Son would have eternal life and should not perish. But also he was telling of the gift that God was giving. God gave his only begotten Son. God gave him. He didn't force him. He didn't force him, and and he didn't didn't, uh, require us to earn the sacrifice. It was a gift. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us, it's a gift. It's a gift. The Father allowed him to do it. Jesus came and gave it of his own free will. Yes, he was captive, but he could have been freed. He even said that he could call angels down, Upon, you know, to, to reign destruction and to free him from his captivity. Uh, we were just recently, my wife and I, reading about Sodom and Gomorrah and two angels. It was two angels that came and destroyed those cities. And Jesus said he could call a whole legion of angels. So imagine, you know, if, if two can destroy two cities, what could a whole legion of angels do? That's the amount of authority that Jesus had. So, so. I'm saying that to, to bring forth that the sacrifice that he made was of his own free will. He didn't have to go through it. You know, they, there was no man on earth that could force him to be, to be nailed to that cross. He allowed it to happen. He allowed it to happen. Why? So that this gift could be given to us. So that this gift of eternal life could be given through the sacrifice that he was making through the sacrifice that he was making. And here really he's prophesying of what was to come because obviously it hadn't happened yet. But he was trying to let Nicodemus know, when you see this happen, this is why. This is why what is going to happen will happen, so that eternal life can be given to mankind. So finally we could be out from under sin. We could be free from sin. And that rebirth could happen. He was telling him that we must be born again, but... Now, here he was explaining the avenue through which the rebirth could happen. We needed the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. None of us could make a sacrifice worthy of of, uh, forgiving us of our sins. We needed someone else that was perfect to do it for us. Then moving on, verse 17, it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't send him to condemn all those around him. Yes, they, they felt condemned, I'm sure, because Jesus was teaching them the truth. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to correct the wrong that had been done. His purpose was that to bring salvation. R- really, mankind was already condemned. Before then, the, the mankind was already condemned to... An eternity of punishment. But God came to make a way so that we would not have to be punished. That we could be saved. That the world through him might be saved. And verse 18 he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And and really, this is something that we've talked about, I believe, here, is, is that the unbeliever is not condemned by their sin. Yes, they're in sin. And that's why many times an unbeliever, we want to tell them, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You know, the life you're living in is wrong. But that's not what's condemning them. As a believer, we need to make sure there's no sin in our life and we're obeying God. But the unbeliever, they're condemned already Simply because they they have not accepted Jesus Christ. Their condemnation is, is not the sin that they're living in. Yes, they should not be living in it, but until they accept Jesus Christ, the sin that they're in, you know, just stopping sinning won't be enough anyways. If they just, you know, if they could turn over a new leaf, if they could get all the sin out of their life, unless they accept Jesus Christ, they're still condemned. So their condemnation is that they don't believe on him. They don't believe on him and and the sacrifice that he's made. And 19 says, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And we saw this the the as we read through the Gospels, we'll see later on, and as the Pharisees made themselves known, they didn't like Jesus you know here was the messiah they'd been waiting for for thousands of years right there in their presence but they didn't want to accept him because their deeds were evil they didn't want their deeds to be made known they you know they felt the sting when jesus or rather when john the baptist told them that they were a generation of vipers they felt it why because they knew it was true you know, when, when a person is living in sin, I believe there's a, at least a part of them that knows what they're doing is wrong. They might not know how to stop. They might, not, you know, they might not know the solution, but they understand that what they're doing is wrong. But for whatever reason, they've decided they're going to do it anyways. And, and when we're led by the flesh, that's how we are. I mean, how many times when we were in sin, did, did we try you know, make make a resolution or make a commitment? You know, perhaps uh, we knew that our, our language was bad, and so we said, I'm going to quit swearing. I'm going to stop using profanity. And how long did it last? You know, it, Until we hit our thumb with the hammer, until something didn't go our way, and then suddenly there it was again. We were being led by our flesh. And that's that's what happens, Is because men, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So they didn't like the light because it shines upon them and it shows their deeds. That's what verse 20 tells us. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So, so when we're engaged in evil, when, when people are engaged in evil, they don't want anyone shining a light upon it. And, and I, I heard a pastor one time, and I think it's a good illustration you know, if you think of a nightclub, if you've ever been in a nightclub or a bar, or you've seen a depiction of a nightclub or a bar, they're not very well lit. You don't go to a nightclub that has you know as much light as we have in this sanctuary. No one would go to that nightclub. They would not attend that club. They wouldn't enjoy themselves there. Why? Because they know that what they're doing is wrong. They don't want it on display. They want to be able to hide. They want it, they want it to be obscured. And many times those places, if you go in there, say after the night of partying, the, the, you know, the club is closed, they turn on all the lights, you, they're not beautiful places, especially after a night of business. You, know, you see all of the, the castaway things from that night of reveling. You see the empty bottles, you know, and perhaps someone got sick in the corner. You see all the, the dirt and grime that, that didn't get cleaned up in the dark. Because when you turn the light on, then you can see clearly, and then that's when all the evil becomes known. But verse 21 tells us, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So, you know, those of us that are, are want to be obedient to God and, and that are living obediently to God, we don't mind the light. We don't mind when God's light shines on us. We want God to shine on us. And, and it shouldn't be for pride, not not proudfully or pridefully saying, look at how wonderful I am. Look at how well I obey God. But we want our deeds to be made known. We want God's stamp of approval. We ought to. We ought to, you know, when we bring something before the Lord, we we want him to say, you know, well done. We want him to say, yes, you're on the right track. We want to to know that we're being obedient. We want him to test our fruits, if you will, to make sure that they're what they ought to be. We're not afraid of his light shining upon us. And so that's what Jesus was trying to, to let Nicodemus know. You know, we need to, mankind, we need, all of us need to be born again. We must be born again. It's not just obedience to the law. It's not just following the ritual. There has to be an experience of rebirth. There should be a time that you can point to and say, that's when it happened. That's when it happened. That's when God changed me. That's when things in my life became different. And yes, you know, everything may not be completely renewed immediately, but at least our direction is changed. That burden of sin is lifted. And, and now we, we've we changed. We want to do what's right. We don't mind when the light shines upon us in our life. We don't mind when when someone looks at us and, and sees what we're doing. There's not guilt there anymore. or There ought not be that guilt there anymore because we've been changed. We've been reborn. We're different. There's a difference. He was trying to explain this to Nicodemus. You know, you're a spiritual leader. You're You're a leader of the Jewish religion. But just obeying the law is not enough. You need a change in your life. You need a change. You need the lights to shine into your life. You need to be made different. And he was letting him know that the opportunity was coming. The opportunity was coming. Jesus was letting him know about the sacrifice that he was going to make. He was going to make a sacrifice. He was going to be lifted up on that cross, so that mankind would have the opportunity. Mankind would have the opportunity to come to salvation. You see, before then, no matter how badly someone wanted to change, Jesus and his sacrifice, or at least his sacrifice, were not available. Yes, God was available, and God had set up a temporary formula, and a temporary way for them to come and be right with God but it didn't solve the problem. It just pushed it forward. All of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were just pushing those sins forward to the cross, where finally the problem would be solved, where finally, once and for all, a change would be made, a change would be made, where all the sins of the past would be forgiven and where the door would be opened so that all the sins in the future could be forgiven. So, you know, Them looking forward, they were looking forward to the time when Jesus would make that sacrifice. All of those sacrifices were pointing to what Christ would do. They were pointing to the opportunity that he was going to give them. And and Jesus was trying to explain this to Nicodemus. Trying to explain to him that the sacrifice would be made that finally Nicodemus could have that change that he was looking for. He could have the difference in his life that he that he sought, that he could be made different. And then then Nicodemus would be able to come in the light. You see, here Nicodemus was coming to Jesus at night. But once Jesus had made his sacrifice and Nicodemus had been changed, he'd be able to come, he'd have the courage to come out in the daytime and admit that he believed in Jesus admit that that he believed in him and really that's that's what we need and that's what happens how many new believers have you seen where their zeal is is great and that's how it should be you know we want to tell everybody man you know what god did for me you know what jesus did for me where before maybe we we didn't want to talk to people we were we didn't want to talk about ourselves we didn't want to tell people about our life you know even if we were a believer of one sort or another we weren't out there declaring God's goodness. But when God changes us, we can't help but come out into the light. We can't help but but to tell people and let them know, hey, God can fix that. God can fix the things in your life that are going wrong. God can change you. God has a new experience available. God's told us that we must be born again. And as verse 16 told us, God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him could have eternal life. Anyone that can accept him, anyone can come to God. It's available to all. And so tonight, we've looked at here John John chapter 3, made it through verse 21, and, and we see that Jesus is offering this new birth to all. And so, if the, you know, I believe everyone here has experienced it. If you haven't, ask God. Ask God. And if you know someone, you say, man, their life's not going well, don't be afraid to tell them that there's a solution to their problem. Invite them to church. You know, give, in, give them an opportunity to hear the gospel or share with them that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus came, Jesus made a sacrifice, that Jesus has made a way for eternal life. For all of us.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table Bible Studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www dot my backslash cheyenne wy dash giving